This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Uh, I wanted to speak to the Super Tuesday phenomenon, Bernie, Bernie Sanders especially. To me, uh, I can understand how compelling he would be, especially to young people, when he's promising to relieve them of perhaps one of the greatest debt burdens they'll ever face in their entire lives, you know, on education, on health, and so on and so forth. Uh, before we unpack all of that, though, what does it all mean going forward when we've got Joe Biden now uh, considered to be, I guess, the alternative for the moderates, and those who were just attacking him have now turned into his greatest allies, the Klobuchar's and Buttigieg's amongst them. Let's find out what it all means. The director of debate at the University of Michigan, Aaron Call, is back on The Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Aaron, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well. It's great to be back. Well, it's good to have you back as you uh, watch this mystery unfold. <laughs> how do you see this We're playing out on Super Tuesday? Is Bernie going to come out the prohibitive favorite? I think right as of right now, he'd be considered a slight favorite um, just because California is the big prize and he's uh, favored to win there. And about 30 to 40 percent of the voters in that state have already voted in early voting. So the bump that uh, Joe Biden got from South Carolina and in the preceding days with all the endorsements and everything may not have as large an impact because of early voting. Um, but it's just nobody really knows. I think the conventional wisdom is um, that Sanders could finish the night anywhere between maybe a 50 to 100 delegate lead. But, you know, there's also some people suggesting that it could basically be tied uh, after the evening because of where we are now, uh, which is just Sanders with a very small, you know, six delegate or so lead. And so it's just unclear um, because, because of early voting and also um, that this momentum is not going to be measured in any polls. And, you know, we have polls from California and Texas, Massachusetts and other states predicting who's going to win, but those were largely taken before uh, Joe Biden's big uh, win in South Carolina and uh, all the endorsements and Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar dropping out. And so the kind of data that we normally look at, uh, you have to put a lot of grain and salt into it, given the recent developments just over the last 24 or 48 hours. Yeah, those recent developments are the resurrection of Joe Biden's fortune, South Carolina sort of kickstarting that. Now he's got uh, some kind of momentum because I guess the also rans, the Klobuchar's and Buddha judges, as I said, allied with him. Uh, what do you, what is shaping up within the Democrat ranks uh, that you see inherent in all of these things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you mentioned, um, just had two major candidates drop out, and they both they endorsed Joe Biden. He also picked up the endorsement last night of. Uh, Beto O'Rourke, who was also in the race many months ago, he's got several endorsements from um, Obama administration officials um, and uh, also Harry Reid and um, Mark Kelly and some other, you know, kind of people either running um, for Congress or, you know, very important congressional people. So um, I think most people believe that a lot of the support from Klobuchar um, and Buttigieg will go to Biden. They all kind of shared the moderate lane, their endorsements are going to help. Amy Klobuchar has already cut campaign ads for Minnesota uh, for Joe Biden. Uh, tonight, Pete Buttigieg sent out a fundraising email last night. And there was just a new national poll, morning consult, that came out today showing after the those two candidates exited the race and endorsed Biden that Biden now is the national leader in the Democratic field. He's up to about 38 percent nationally and opened up about an eight-point or so lead on Biden. And just in the last week or two, he trailed Biden about 20 percent nationally in the Democratic primary. So even though it's only a few days old, it seems that the immediate dividends will, are, are going to pay off for Joe Biden. Just the question is how 
well, that'll be reflected in tonight's voting, given the uh, prominence of early voting in several states. So do we say that the Democrat establishment is sort of establishing uh, a Biden anti-Bernie Sanders firewall here? Definitely, definitely. And we saw something similar in the 2016 contest with um, Donald Trump, that um, he was, you know, the leader, but he never really got more than 20 to 30 percent of a lot of the early states. And the Republican establishment tried to stop him, um, but they had several people in the race. You know, they had Jeff Bush and uh, Marco Rubio and Chris Christie, um, and just they weren't able to, you know, Ted Cruz weren't able to agree on one candidate to be the alternative to President Trump. And by the time everybody dropped out, and it was basically Ted Cruz at that point, uh, Trump had uh, amassed such a delegate lead, especially in Super Tuesday, that it was just too late uh, to stop them. And I think the Democrats saw what happened last time with President Trump and said, if there's any chance to stop Bernie Sanders, you know, some of these candidates have to drop out before Super Tuesday. And that takes a lot of discipline because everyone's in, in it for their own political self-interest. But Buttigieg and Klobuchar put, you know, the sake of the party ahead. Tom Steyer dropped out after South Carolina. So this time, um, it's, it, you know, too early to see, but there's a better chance for, um, you know, an alternative to form uh, to Bernie Sanders, the front runner this time, because they did it early enough. And also, you know, Joe Biden has more uh, goodwill as an establishment Democrat in the party than some of the alternatives last time for Trump. People like Ted Cruz and others were not very well liked. Biden has built up a strong reputation over many years, been the vice president for eight years. And so if there was somebody who was able to do it and couldn't have others coalesce around him because of his you know, experience and, and being well liked in the party and a lot of the goodwill over those years, it was Biden. And so you know, still a little bit too early to tell if he'll actually be able to do it, but he certainly has a fighting chance. Again, with Aaron Call, Director of Debate at the University of Michigan. Aaron, you use the word establishment. Uh, Biden is the establishment guy. Bernie's the outlier. And uh, as a consequence, with these allegiances being formed now, as you said, on the timing, dropping out before Super Tuesday, you suspect there have been deals and machinations behind the scenes going on? It's possible. Um, I mean, certainly uh, Joe Biden's going to need... You know, if he is the nominee, a vice presidential uh, candidate, then, you know, people have talked about Amy Klobuchar as a potential, although, you know, they also talk about uh, Kamala Harris um, and, you know, Cory Booker uh, and others. And so I don't think that there's probably been any promises. And, you know, if Joe Biden is able to be the nominee and eventually he's the president, he has to form a cabinet. And so, you know, you need cabinet positions like the Secretary of Defense or Treasury or other, you know, major appointments. And so, that's definitely a calculation. You know, when people drop out, you know, they certainly could have stayed in as long as you still have money. And the more delegates that you amass, the you know, greater uh, gives you the more leverage to play at the convention. Um, and so that is something they had to think about. But they also have to think about their political futures. Um, Buttigieg and Klobuchar are still relatively young. They're likely to run again, even many several times. And so you don't want to burn, um, you know, your you don't want to burn your credibility with the party establishment or do anything to make it less likely for the Democrats uh, to win you know, this presidential um, election and be able to uh, coalesce around the eventual nominee. And so there was probably some personal self-interest and a potential uh, spot in the Biden administration or cabinet, uh, but also they're thinking about their political future and that they want to show their team player and think about future runs where they have a better chance uh, as their as we see now, the, the candidates are in their 70s. They've got many other cycles if they were like to enter the uh, the race again. Well, you know, you mentioned the money, and uh, Bloomberg says he's not going anywhere. He's got the money, the staying power. Uh, he could be the wild card in all of this. Is he going to siphon votes away from Biden if he continues to hang in there till the bitter end? Uh, 
or do you think some way he'll be co-opted? Uh, how, how do you see Bloomberg being a factor in all of this? Yeah, no, I think that um, certainly he has less of an incentive to get out of the race. They need, he's in his late 70s. This will be his last race. He's not really a Democrat in some ways. You know, he was a, a Republican. He was an independent. And so he's not doesn't have some some of the same you know, commitment to just the Democratic Party or the establishment itself, given his past history and his independent wealth, the fact that he's not raising any money or donations or other candidacies. If, you know, they're, it just dries up, they have to leave. He can stand for as long as he wants because he's self-financing. So I do think he will be the wild card, and that may be what he, he wants to do. And I don't know that he's going to win any states out of the 14 states tonight on Super Tuesday, but I think in several of them he should be viable if he gets up to 15%. And so he'll accumulate a lot of delegates. He could accumulate 100 to 200 delegates. Now, that's obviously not enough to win or be the nominee, but that could then give him leverage if it goes to, once it goes to the convention in July, if there's no person coming into it that has the majority of the delegates, then there'll be several votes. And I don't know how likely it is that he would emerge as the actual candidate because he was starting from so far behind. But at that point, he'll really get to have a good chance to determine where his delegate, who his delegates will support, and I think most people think it'd be more likely they'd support the moderate, you know, if that's Joe Biden, uh, given that he's much closer to him ideologically than uh, Bernie Sanders. But you know, those delegates won't be bound and are you know, kind of free agents to support whichever the, the convention they want. But he's playing a real kind of long shot scenario where that nobody has the majority of the delegates going to convention. And there's um, anyone that has delegates at that point, you know, is considered in play. And who knows, after, you know, one, two, three, four different votes and, and people are switching, you know, he thinks that there's a scenario where he could come out and he could be, you know, the con- uh, consensus candidate or, you know, to emerge eventually as a nominee. I think it's uh, uh, uphill and a very long shot. But, you know, the more delegates that he amasses and the longer he stays in the race and the more leverage either way, whether he's a nominee or not, that he will have to determine who the eventual Democratic nominee is, and that's always a good place to be in politics. Yeah, he could be the kingmaker. Uh, and the other thing, of course, is with the requisite 1,991 delegates necessary to put you over the top into majority territory, uh, there's talk if nobody gets that. Bernie is discussing if he is in front in terms of number of delegates, even if it's like 1,600, that's the plurality argument, and he says everybody ought to rally around him. And we saw in the first debate, I guess, in Nevada where... Uh, Everybody denied that that would be, they want the process to play out, but Bernie wants everybody to rally around him. Uh, It could get ugly if it really does come down to that. Do you think the plurality argument has any merit, by the way? Uh, I don't, um, especially if he's the one that has the plurality. And, you know, the position that he's taking now in the 2020 race was the opposite position that he took in 2016. And so there's some hypocrisy there. But but no, I think that um, if any candidate doesn't have a majority and just, you know, someone comes in even with a small plurality, I don't think that, uh, you know, the, the, the party is going to just automatically rally around that candidate. I think they're going to do a first vote and then, you know, have another vote. And at that point, um, delegates are more free uh, to switch to determine who they, they want to support. At that point, superdelegates will get a vote starting in the second round. Those superdelegates are mostly elected officials in Congress or the Senate, and most of those are more considered moderate in the establishment, so they'd be more likely to, to favor uh, Joe Biden. And uh, so, no, I don't think that um, just a plurality would be enough, but I do think that increases the chance of a really contentious convention. And even though eventually someone is going to get the majority on the second or third uh, something ballot, that, it, as you mentioned, then that would really could cause some internal tumult in the party, and then it would take a lot for the party 
to get back together um, and put on a, you know, a good face for the eventual nominee because there's going to be both a candidate and a lot of that, or, you know, former, um, you know, Bernie Sanders, if he does not get the nomination, both he and his supporters will be very upset. You know, for him, it'll be now twice in a row, and there's a good chance that a lot of his supporters do not eventually vote for the Democratic nominee. They either stay home or they vote for President Trump, and that could, in the end, make the difference. Uh, for uh, President Trump for winning a second term. Yeah, and if Bernie doesn't get it on the first or somebody doesn't get it on the first ballot at the convention, it goes to the superdelegates, and they're free to vote whichever way they'd like. Uh, of the 700-plus, this is the party elite uh, and the establishment, which uh, could also be a telling signal to some of the Bernie support, which, you know, and I've got to ask you finally, because I'm, I'm hearing now uh, the overarching criterion by which people are evaluating Biden uh, or supporting him is because they think he can beat Trump. It's who can beat Trump is the operative phrase for the Dems. And I was thinking to myself, really, I mean, uh, as opposed to putting forth policy and principles that you truly believe in, you know, that you're deeply committed to, I guess that's Bernie, uh, his appeal to a lot of younger people especially. But it's really all about who can beat Trump in the end, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, because no matter who the nominee is, you know, they'll be, in theory, you know, a better president than President Trump as far as Democrats are concerned. And also, you know, a lot of Bernie's policy issues um, require things that are not likely to happen, such as, you know, getting – if he doesn't get rid of the filibuster, it'd be hard to see him get Medicare for all or, you know, raising taxes to pay for, you know, writing off, uh, you know, student loan debt and things like that. And so even though a lot of people may agree with his policy prescriptions, if the Senate, even if the Democrats take it back narrowly – because of the filibuster, they're not likely to have the votes to enact a lot of his policy goals. And so, you know, step one, I think the Democrats are stopping Trump. And you can do some actions via, you know, executive order or at least, you know, get back in the Paris Climate Agreement and things like that, even if you can't get um, Congress on your side. And so, um, no, electability is the key. The problem is nobody really knows who is the most electable against Trump. I think both could win, but it would be by getting new co- different coalitions together. And everyone thought conventional wisdom that Hillary Clinton was the best, uh, most electable against Trump in 2016. That turned to being correct. So I think a lot of people are um, scratching their heads or you know have a, a grain of salt with that electability question. But that's a total division now between the two. Who is most electable? And nobody knows the answer. But a lot of voters, whatever they, however they do come up with answering that question, that's who they're going to support in this, uh, the primary. Fascinating. Uh, as the dynamic plays out in a large way uh, today and uh, later on today, we'll know in the aftermath by tomorrow, I guess, uh, where this is all headed. I really appreciate it, Aaron. I'm sure we'll touch base again. Thanks for your time. No problem. Anytime. You got it. Aaron Call, Director of Debate, University of Michigan. Super Tuesday. And so, uh, you know, at this point tomorrow, they'll have like 40% of the overall delegates chosen. And uh, whether anybody breaks from the pack, we'll know for sure. But the Bernie Sanders argument, it's kind of uh, so simplistic, you know, that its allure, its appeal uh, is irresistible, I can see, to young people. If he's talking about forgiving student debt, there's no tuition fee uh, for colleges and universities state-run. And then you've also got the fact that, uh, you know, Medicare, who can afford that in this day and age? I mean, unless you're on a an employer plan, you've got private insurance, young people saddled with that burden as well. I've likened it to if somebody came along and said tomorrow, you know, uh, by hook or by crook, we're going to eliminate your mortgage. I mean, (laughs) certainly people are going to bite on that. And uh, this is where Bernie does find his appeal. It's compelling, especially to young people. And what's the old adage? I think Churchill said, uh, if you're under 30, you're not a socialist, you have no heart. You're over 30 and you're still a socialist. You've got no brain. <laughs> so this is where uh, Bernie finds 
the bulk of his support in that younger demographic. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 